Hello there and welcome to the Get French Football News Preview Show. I'm Nathan Staples and joining me this evening are Adam White and Samuel Rook. Before we dive into the games behind and ahead of us, let's start by quickly running through the news of the week. France officially qualified for the 2018 World Cup in Russia on Tuesday, seeing off Belarus apologies at home 2-1 to clinch top spot in Group A. The result didn't matter in the end as Sweden lost 2-0 to the Netherlands, guaranteeing Les Bleus top spot. Manager Didier Deschamps will also reportedly be rewarded for that success with a new deal. RMC are reporting that the Les Bleu coach should sign a deal before the end of the year that will run until 2020. However, there will also supposedly be a clause inserted to amicably split should the French side struggle next summer. That's all for now, but to keep up to date with everything French football, head on over to our website at www.getfootballnewsfrance.com and follow us on Twitter at GFFN. Let's dive in to this week's action, at least in the midweek at the Stade de France, where Les Bleus sealed qualification to the World Cup in somewhat uninspiring fashion. Uh, Adam, Mm. does this performance against the Belarusians prove that Deschamps still has a lot of work to do from now until uh, June? Yeah, I think it does. Um, when you look at France's squad, it's it's unbelievable the talent they've got. The, I think the squad that doesn't make the squad is probably better than England's squad, which is which is which is ridiculous. Um, but he still needs to kind of to sort of distill the best team. And I think he had an idea of his best team uh, after the Euros and perhaps in the first part of qualifying. Um, but the emergence of players like Kylian Mbappe and Thomas Lamar and 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 then what Usman Dembele as well to some extent has kind of, you know, upset the balance, which is a good thing to happen because they're such good players. But I don't know if Deschamps knows what his best team is. In fact, I'm pretty sure he doesn't. Uh, and how he goes around, how he goes about getting the best out of th- those players and the players he had already in situ. So it shows that there's a, quite a sort of a long way for a long road for Deschamps in terms of settling on that, that first choice 11 and making sure that he does get the best out of those sort of players. <clears throat> it might, excuse me, it might mean sort of uh, in those friendlies experimenting, which is, is a little bit dangerous given it's so close to the tournament. Um, or he might sort of have a team mind and he might look to make that team gel and perhaps play that team consistently over, over, the, over the friendlies and the warm-up games and hoping that it's, it's the right 11 and he sort of just needs to get a bit more cohesion. Either way, I think this performance against, against Belarus isn't, isn't necessarily uncommon. They, they won the game, they're very drab, and that's kind of been the, the you know, the, the, the same for the rest of the qualifying campaign, apart from perhaps the 4 win over Holland at the Stade de France. So, yeah, I think there's a long way to go. And I still think he needs to work out how he gets the best out of a, the combination of players, especially Mbappe, Griezmann, and if he goes to Giroud, then Ballet and Pogba together. Um, it'll be interesting to see what he does, but um, some, some decisions to be made, I think. Mm, yeah, and it's going to be interesting, especially after that really drab game, really. It didn't matter in the end, in all honesty, uh, mm. Sam, but who played well in those two games, really? Because both of them, although they're wins, although they were they were needed, there wasn't really much to shout about, was there? It wasn't, really. Um, the Belarus game was perhaps an improvement, even. 
on the the previous game, which had been even more tedious. The Bulgaria away, but that at least started well. I mean, this was a this was a, a rough international break for France, despite the fact they won both games and qualified for the World Cup, which seems like a strange thing to say, but. Those games were hard to watch. That Saturday night game against Bulgaria, was that was hard work to sit through that game. And you wouldn't think that with the quality of players they have on show, but very few did shine. Lacazette had his big chance, finally getting a chance to start. Mbappe on one side, Griezmann on the other. Perfect setting, you'd think. He was hauled off, replaced by Giroud. Then Giroud gets a chance to start. He doesn't do much else. It's It was just not a great... Not a great couple of days for the French. And this World Cup now, you know, they're among the favourites. And with the squad they have, they should well be. And the way they've cruised to qualification. But as Adam says, there's a lot of work there still to be done. And that's a real worry for a side that's got a lot of talent. Um, There's obviously a long time until the World Cup yet. And there's plenty of chopping and changing that will probably take place. And... Adam, I know you focused on your piece this week, particularly on who will lead the line. Um, mm. Do you think that's a battle that we solved over these upcoming friendlies or, or certainly one of the the, the uh, goals that Deschamps sort of needs to uh, put away before uh, the World Cup starts? Yeah, I think it has to be. I think if they're going to win the World Cup, which is what they really should be aiming for, if you look at the players they've got, they, they, they're, I, for me, on paper, they're favourites. They have the best international squad. Um, and possibly even the best first 11, um, at least in terms of balance. Perhaps the Argentines are a bit better in attack, even though they have barely scored any goals in their qualifying campaign. They only got, only got sort of 19. Um, <clears throat> but in terms of the entire squad, they're the best on paper. And I think to get the best out of that team, Deschamps needs to quickly work out what that front that front three or four or two or however he wants to, to set up is and how, how, how the, best, the best combination of players. I think it's really interesting to see how you'll go about doing that because I don't know that there's a, per- a perfect jigsaw between the players on, on show. I mean, I think uh, Giroud's proven himself to be, you know, very useful for France. And um, although he's not the most stylish of players and not the most, you know, uh, aesthetically pleasing, perhaps he is relatively effective for France um, and he allows other people to play well around him. But if he plays, does he play with a partner? Does he play with Mbappe through the middle and they go 4-4-2 and perhaps maximise on that Monaco formation of last season and maybe Lamar and Dembele get in? Um, or if or they go over three and do they play with Mbappe and Griezmann on the side, which seems the most logical thing. But I don't know that Griezmann's ever played well for France on the wing. And he's so good for Atletico up front through the middle and has proven for France that he's much better through the middle for, for Le Bleu too. But it, it makes that, that sort of, those pieces faking them together makes it very tricky because... If you end up going with a two and you end up going with Giroud and, and, and Griezmann, that moves Mbappe out to the wing in a 4-4-2, which means he's a lot more, he's further from the goal, he's got, he's got more defensive responsibilities, and that doesn't suit him. So, And you want to get the best out of him too. So maybe you drop Giroud, maybe you go with the two of them up front and you go Dembele and Lamar on the wings, perhaps, Pogba and Kante in midfield. It, it, it's so difficult to work out what what that correct, so that jigsaw puzzle is and fitting them all together. And he doesn't really have time to try too many things. So... He, he can't really do trial. He can't have a go at trial and error. He's got to hit the nail on the head pretty quickly. And it'd be interesting to see what when he what when he goes home, what he what he prioritizes. I have a feeling that he'll prioritize Giroud and, and Griezmann might play off him, and then Mbappe and, and Dembélé on the side. Um, but yeah, I think there's there's a lot of options, but it's finding the right one and finding it soon. 
Mm, and that's, yeah, the important thing, really. What other big decisions does Deschamps have before Russia oh, slowly crawls around, as it will, Sam? Well, he seems to have his uh, defensive line more or less set up now. I mean, assuming Mendy comes back eventually, but the, the centre-half combination, Varane and Titi, that seems more or less solid. But he is a big fan of Koscielny. So if Koscielny is ever fit again, there may be a question there. Uh, of fitness concerns are the only thing that seem to really worry him in midfield as well because Kante, Pogba more or less picked themselves. So there's not a lot of decisions to be made there. It really is only in attack. I mean, again, in goal, no one's taking Larissa's side as many saves as Mandanda might make. Larissa is keeping his place. So it's really only in attack that Deschamps has real difficult decisions to make, but they are difficult decisions to make. And perhaps he's going to take have to take the, the very brave call of leaving some of these huge superstars on the bench. Someone someone like Griezmann may find himself starting the World Cup on the bench because it suits the team. And then we just see the way the tournament unfolds, which, I mean, it seems crazy. A year ago, this was Griezmann's team. He led them all the way to the European Championship final, but it's not quite worked out for him in the last few months, and, and France need to find their, their spark. And that's that's the thing missing. It always seems like the French at the moment are on the precipice of something really, really good. There's some great international teams. Brazil are humming at the moment. Germany have got such strength in depth. But France have such quality, especially in those final attacking areas, and depth that if they just find that right little bit of formula, you just have that feeling that, I don't really want to say it, but because English fans say it every tournament, it seems, but it could be their year. Um, let's move on to league um, matters as well as that comes back around tomorrow evening with a great game, although it might be tarred by the fact that some of them might be a little bit tired from these great international exploits, and that's Leon Monaco, uh, Adam. Leon haven't won any of their last five games, which does include four draws as well, but what's holding them back at the moment? It's an interesting question because um, I, I from the outset, I kind of feel like they're not getting enough from their forward line, which sounds ridiculous because they've drawn the last three games three all. So it seems like <clears throat> the the obvious the obvious you know uh, sort of down point, if you like, is is defensively. And I but my main issue is with in, in attack at least is with Mariana Diaz and Memphis Depay. Both of those players, you know, they were invested heavily in over the summer and last last winter. Um, so no, in the summer, sorry. And um, when did when did Depay sign? Was it last summer? Was it last winter? Oh, um, it was last winter. Yeah, I thought so. Okay, cool. Um, but even in that time, they've both really kind of struggled to to impress. And I remember you and I were speaking on the pod last season, Nathan, that you know it, if Depay would either go really, really well or go really, really badly. And it kind of feels like it's edging towards the latter of those two at the moment. Um, although he's been involved in a fair amount of goals, he's to watch him play. He's so on the fringes of playing, he's so he's so sort of lackluster. It's, it's really odd to see such a, such a talented player have such a little impact. Um, and I think that they, the, the control of games is where, where they're struggling. And that comes from that front three. From last season when they had Tolisso, Lacazette, um, even Gonalan in the midfield as well, you know, some of the players they did lose, they controlled league and games and they, they're not doing that this, this season. And I think that comes from forward areas and they seem to they lose the ball a bit too easily and they don't have that control which is why they're conceding goals, because they're a little bit more open than they were last year. They're a little bit, well, far less less experienced um, and and they let games slip. They should have beaten Angers. They were unlucky to have the sending off. Um, 
with Marcelo, which was ridiculous to say the least. Mm. And they were three one up, and they would have won that game uh, probably without that that sending off. And they looked very dangerous going forward. But again, it was that sort of what Angers got on top of them. They got in amongst them, and they they lost the control of the of the game, Leon, despite you know the obvious having having ten men. And and that seems to be sort of a relatively common common theme for them this season. So I think that they they it's not something that's going to change overnight. They need more from Depay. They need more from as, as exciting a player as he is, but they still need a little bit more from Diaz. So obviously, so ex- an experienced player. Depay's only twenty three, which is ridiculous. If you feel like he's a little bit older than that, but I think they need a little bit more control from forward players and and for for players like Undumbele and Tussar, it's not going to happen overnight again. But they're they're both twenty years old and both very good players, but. They're not obviously the most experienced. And they're lacking like a, a cool, calm head in midfield who can, or even like sort of attacking midfield to say, let's keep the ball, let's 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 kill this game off, let's calm down. And they're a little bit too all over the place at the moment, which which opens avenues up into games for for lesser teams. They're still very very good, got very very good players, but you know they 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 need to sort of figure out how they can kill games off a bit a bit better. I think. Absolutely, and I, I think I'm, I mentioned on Monday's podcast that the pressure's really sort of to grow on the Genesio, and yeah. in all honesty, he's never really quite impressed. And that Leon side needs to have a little bit more to it, I think. Uh, Sam, uh, admittedly, Monaco are also in a bit of a, a rough patch at the moment, and they'll be without Radamel Falcao, who will be recovering from his uh, exploits in South America over the week. Um, how much would a poor result here impact their uh, title credentials this season? Well, the thing about Liga this season is PSG are just not going to drop that many points. They're three points ahead already of Monaco, so Monaco simply can't afford to drop points. They have to win. They have to win this game because they have to apply the pressure, or at the very least, just keep pace with PSG. So to lose this game as as big and as difficult a game as it is, you know, it's not easy to go and beat this Leon side who, as we've discussed, aren't firing on all cylinders, but are obviously a very talented side. If they lose this game, or even really if they draw it, you expect PSG to take advantage of that, stretch that lead to five points, and and really cut away at the hopes, any hopes Monaco do have of retaining their title. We're going to have to say this most weeks because PSG just aren't going to drop points, but the pressure is very much on the chasers, and the chasers at the moment are only Monaco. And that's well, the real worry, really, to be honest. Um, let's get some predictions in this one, and then uh, start with you, Adam. Um, it's going to be a good game, I think. To all, Sam. Uh, I'm going to I'm going to back Rashid Gazal to get the winner against his old side, uh, assuming he's fit, which he may not be, but hopefully he is. So I'll say two one Monaco. I like that one. I, I, I'm going to go for 2-0 uh, Monaco, one from Gazal for the headlines and maybe a, maybe an, 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 a final, uh, if I can get my words out, <laughs> finally a goal for uh, Baldekaita, maybe get him uh, off the mark a little bit. Um, let's move on to the next game, really, and that's on uh, Saturday between uh, Bordeaux and Nantes. Adam, Bordeaux's unbeaten run came to a screeching halt, really, before the win, well, before the uh, international break. But is this a great opportunity for them to get back into the saddle against Nantes? Um, possibly. Um, I think uh, you know Nantes have started the season very poorly, losing at Lille. They looked they looked very much off the pace, and then another another defeat at home to Marseille, which they improved in but still look like the lesser of those two sides. But since then, as we've discussed before, Ranier is really taking them to 
not necessarily another level, but he's made them so much more effective. And they've, they've really started to settle into the way he wants them to play, which is different to the way Conte Sal played. And, and, and obviously it's going to take them at least a little bit. They've actually adapted quite quickly, but at least a little bit of amount of time for them to get their heads around that. Because it's pretty much, although they signed a lot of players towards the end of the transfer window, the first 11 still relatively similar. So, you know, it wasn't take a little bit of time. So they're not going to be the, the, the easiest of opponents for Bordeaux to face. Um, and although Bordeaux will be looking to bounce back from that, that PSG defeat, I think a win would be great if they were to get it. But Nantes are such, so, well, they've become so good defensively and they've become very, very clinical as well, which is sort of the best of both worlds. If you talk about Conseil Sao and Michel de Zakarian, who was very, very good defensively, and, and Conte Sao, who managed to get goals out of his forwards, like Emiliano Sala, who, Sala, who's been very up and down for the last few seasons, formerly of Bordeaux, of course. Um, so I, I think that Nantes might be a pretty tricky opponent for Bordeaux and the type of team they won't want to play because after being torn apart by PSG, that, that game, if PSG had kept their foot, foot down, could have been 12-13-0, 13, 13 well, they got a goal and it won, but it could have been ridiculous. 5-1 uh, up at half-time, of course. So I think that Bordeaux would have hoped for a not a, not as not not as as much of a sort of physical and aggressive and fierce opponent that Nantes have become, and they're a difficult team to play. And I don't know that Bordeaux will, will do will, will be able to break them down as easily as perhaps there were some other teams. So because that, that defeat, as you mentioned, to PSG was 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 pretty demoralising, even though they were third in the table at that point. They went to a team only two places above them and got absolutely torn apart. So I think they would hope for a better, a better, you know, come, you know, comeback game if you like after that defeat. And I think that non aren't the team they would have wanted to play. I think they probably would have picked pretty much every other team in the league apart from maybe two or three. So I think it's going to be a tight game, and I think that non will prove very, very difficult to to beat. And then given the given form. Uh, you could argue that non maybe even favourites for this game, even though it is at a Bordeaux. But they're they're a very very good team at the moment and very effective. So not the easiest for for Bordeaux, and it'd be really interesting to see how they do react from that that defeat to PSG. Man, and Sam not are on a great run. Really, they're in five wins in their last six. They were unbeaten in September with a hundred percent record. In fact, um, can they maintain that now? It looks like the the more difficult fixtures are starting to creep in. They've got Bordeaux this week. They've got a couple of easy ones, in fairness, for the next three weeks. And then Paris, Rennes, Monaco come in in November. Is this real sign of their credentials, this one? I think this game is really suits them a lot. Um, as Adam sort of mentioned, Bordeaux really don't do so well with the counterattack. They were torn apart on the break so many times by PSG. But the same thing happened against Toulouse, who were a far weaker side, who hit them again and again on the break, but just couldn't score. And Nantes have built their identity in this run of fixtures that beat Metz, Strasbourg, Caen, Montpellier, and they did it with very little of the ball. They have less possession than anyone in the league. They don't complete a lot of passes, the worst completion rate of anyone in the league, but they don't care because that's they know what they're trying to do. They have an identity, and that's something a lot of teams in Liga don't yet have. A lot of teams are still finding their feet, figuring themselves out. Ranieri's not know what they're doing. And they'll see this Bordeaux side coming and they'll be happy to they'll be they'll fancy their chances. And as you say, if they can beat if they can win this game, they then have a lot of other very winnable games. Gangon, Dijon, Toulouse at home. They could be firmly ensconced in the top three. 
come the the real tests a bit further down the road. Not to say they're guaranteed to win this game or even maybe favourites, but I think they'll really fancy themselves. Lakeep have them all the way up in number two in their power rankings uh, this week, which I think is probably a little bit generous. But I think they have some real advantages, and, and I really like their chances of, of winning this game. Yeah, and if you just feel as well, if they get through that spell with, with a couple of wins under the belt before they face those big teams, they can afford to drop the points and you get into January and a, and a striker or maybe a player here and there and there as well. They could be a really, really interesting side down the stretch as well. Um, let's get some predictions then. I'll start with you, Sam. I'm going to back on to win this 2-0. Uh, I have a feeling this is going to be a draw. I'm, I'm going to go 1-1. Uh, Adam? I think it might be a draw as well. I'm going to say, oh, it's, on, it's on Sunday afternoon, isn't it? Maybe 2-1 not then. Uh, let's go on to two sides that are possibly in false positions, maybe, between uh, Con and Andre, but um, I'm sure those fans in Con won't care one jot. Uh, they're in fifth with 15 points. Uh, Adam, could they have even dreamed of a better start for the season? I don't think so. No, not how given how last season ended, where they, you know, went into the final day pretty much needing some sort of result at PSG to avoid at least slipping into the relegation playoff, and they obviously got that that result. Um, I, I think it's. I think perhaps this is slightly different to, to the way that Nantes have have set about their season, uh, although they've ended up with a very similar amount of points. Looking at the table, you mentioned Con were fifth and Nantes fourth with sixteen points and Con fifteen, so very very similar. Um, very similar positions, and they've got very, very similar records. Like, Nantes have scored six and conceded five in eight games, and Con have scored seven and conceded four. So uh, they've actually got the best defensive record in the league, Con, at the moment, which is which is very much the the basis for their for their success so far this year. And I think that it's also very similar to Nantes in the fact that they haven't really come up against anybody too taxing. I mean. They've got some very, very good wins, which are based on that that really good defensive record. And again, being able to counter-attack and, and nick, a, nick a win, nick a 1-0 win. Ronnie Rodderland's obviously very, very good on the break. Ivan Santini's great from set pieces. Um, I, I've always quite liked Vincent Bessat as well. I think he's a useful player. Um, Yusuf, uh, Yusuf Ben, uh, H. Benassa, sorry, who was at Nancy last season, who I quite liked as a Morocco international. He's come in and done very well for them as well. And you've obviously got sort of, they've got the experience that perhaps other teams don't have, like Damien De Silva, Julian Farrow have been around the league for a, for a long, long time. Verkut as well in goal. They've got some very experienced heads. And although they may not be the most attractive team to watch, they're, they're, they're an effective team, especially against similar sort of quality of opposition. Um, but I think that this may be similar to, the, I think it was, not last season, the season before, but they were in the top two or three at one point, for like Angers were, when they were promoted for, for much of the first half of the season. I have a feeling it's, it's sort of following a similar course to that. And they dropped off and finished sort of eighth or ninth in the end, I think. Um, but it, it shows that they're a capable team and, and that they're, if they're well drilled and they're organised and they know what they're doing, especially in this league, you can get results. And against teams around them, they're proving very, very effective. So um, I think that it won't last forever. Um, and this is where I'm coming to the point that they're different to Nantes. I think Nantes are, are a much more higher quality team. Um, but I think that Connor are going to have a good season and, you know, a top half finish for them, given last the last campaign, would be a great result for Patrice Garand and, and, and his charges. So uh, long may it last for them. I, I hope they're competitive for, for many weeks to come. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Um, Sam, 
Angers is another team that we've had plenty of praise really for their performances this season and getting some really, really great draws, especially the, the one against Leon recently. But they've not had much really to show for it, unfortunately, with, with those draws. Um, how important is it they start winning these kind of games against sides they expect to be around them or below them? I mean, the most important thing is that they just start winning any kind of games. Uh, they've won one the 12th of August. It's the last time they won a game. That's just really not good enough for a team that has played well enough to win games. As you say, we've seen them play some really excellent football, but we've also seen them produce some ludicrously poor defending, brain snap decisions, the wrong pass at the wrong time to give the ball away and just do silly, silly things over and over again. And if this team, with the quality they have, aspires to be in the top half where they belong, they really do need to start winning games. This against Caen, who, who are in good form, it, it's a tricky game, but it's not one that's beyond them, certainly. This has been described in the press as a, they call it a match charnière, which is it's kind of a, a watershed moment, potentially. So for both clubs, Caen win this, and, and they really start to believe that European football could be an option for them. Angers lose this, and they're looking over their shoulders. They're looking backwards. You know, for the first time since coming back to Ligue 1, this would be a season of just trying to keep their place rather than, than pushing with the quality they do have. And that's that's very disappointing because we've we've enjoyed what they've put 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 forward most of this season, but they just haven't been able to do it consistently enough through 90, win, 90 minutes to to win the game. So it's really important that they they hit the ground now. After the international break, they've had time on the training pitch. We see Stefan Moulin. Hopefully, they're a little bit more organised. They were able to pick out people in the same coloured shirts as them when they're playing out from the back. And uh, now they can actually start showing that quality, win some games, and and this is probably a good opportunity to start doing that. Yeah, exactly. It's horrible seeing one of those sides that you just feel like one win might change their complexion a little bit, especially when they're playing so well. But it's it's a frustrating one at the moment, which is why I'm going for an RJ special of 1-1 in this one. Um, <laughs> go for yours, Adam. Um, I'm going to go for oh, maybe an Angers 1-0 one, one win. Play, playing to the level of their opponents is, is classic Angers. And they do well against good teams and poorly against other teams, uh, the lesser teams. So I think they might even just sneak this one, one nil. Sam, I'm enjoying Kong. I'm enjoying the little run. So I'm gonna I'm gonna back them to to win this one, one nil. And it undoubtedly probably will be an Ivan Santini goal at that as well if, it, <laughs> if that one comes in. Uh, our final game this week is a Sunday afternoon game, and that's between Montpellier. Adam, uh, nobody envies Montpellier's schedule at the moment as they face the third side in a row that finished in the top three last season, which is uh, hard to believe, really. They've got two valuable draws, as we mentioned in the past, in those two games. Mm. Will that be their aim again in this one? I think it has to be. I, I think uh, we sort of talked about teams this on, on the podcast so far today that sort of are effective in Ligue 1 and that perhaps have a certain type of game that suits them and they they or they play to their strengths and i think montpellier are another one of those sort of mid-table perhaps even lower mid-table sides that that are capable of playing to their strengths and then capable of getting results against a number of the teams in in league and, and good results too i think their main issue though is that they can't score goals they obviously they i mean it's 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 they're so blunt in attack that they actually are 
a decent side. You know, they they they're decent position. They are capable of are capable of putting pressure on other sides and perhaps even creating a few one or two chances that if they had a, a proper a proper centre forward, they would take, and that they would win them far more games than they are winning at the moment. There's actually a uh, one of my one of the one of the uh, other analysts at Fabredo is a very big Montpellier fan, and uh, he he was saying about these two games earlier earlier today that they were how good they were in both of these both of these games and playing against you know two of the top three that they deserve the points they got and I think especially against PSG they really really did defend very very well and there are two there are both games are games where they don't need to score goals they're not necessarily expected to go out and and attack and and you know. And, and score quite a few goals and not expected to do that. So it kind of plays their strengths a little bit. And this is another game against another side from the top three of last year where they're not going to be, the, the owners won't be on them to attack, which suits them. And I think at home as well, Nice are a bit erratic this season. It's another game where they really fancy themselves and they they won't see themselves, you know, put themselves under pressure to go out and score, go out and, you know, take the game by the scruff of the neck. And they'll, ha- they'll be happy for Nice to come on to them and they'll be happily taking a nil-nil again. Or, or, or as it was against Monaco, one all, um, and that's fine. That suits them. I, I think the problem is that when they without those, without the lack of goals and lack of attacking options, when it comes to the the teams around them and and even lower than, they won't. They're struggling to get results consistently that they might get otherwise. So yes, this is an absolute another game that they'll be you know they'll be looking for another another result and they'll be confident going into it as well. So it's a game that suits them, and I think that Nice. We'll have a very tough game on their hands on on Sunday afternoon. It could be an, it could be another another draw for 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 Montpellier. Yeah, some Nice almost feel like a little bit like Mario Balotelli at the moment. They recovered from that slow start by going unbeaten in September, but then the month changed. On that Sunday, they played Marseille and they were pretty humbled in that one. Um, how important is it to their European aspirations that they grab a win in this one? It's hugely important. Um, of course it is. I mean, they're, they're tenth at the minute, right? Smack bang mid-table. Montpellier are only just behind them. They lose this game, they're in the bottom half again, like they were when the season started so poorly. They did so well to recover. The return of Seri, the return of the, the verve and the, and the fun that we all enjoyed last season. They were scoring goals again, winning games again, and then it all just came off the rails against Marseille. But that game... I think it was probably a one-off. I mean, you could play that game a hundred times out again, and and it would never go exactly the way it did. I mean, two 0 up and flying, four two down. The opposition gets a red card. You get a penalty. You miss. It just absolute bedlam. So, I think that while that may have an impact on their sort of psyche and their confidence, um, we shouldn't we shouldn't panic for Nice. I think they are still, for want of a better word, back. Um, but this is. As Adams mentioned, it's a very difficult game to, to win because you're playing against a team who know how to stop you playing. They, like Nantes, they, they know their style. They know what they're trying to do. Uh, and so it's a lot more difficult for Nice to, to go and sort of unpick a team who will be happy to, to shepherd them into, into un, not dangerous areas and let them have a lot of sort of useless ball and really just sort of stop them from, from being a threat because Nice... We'll need to we'll need to get going early because otherwise the concerns might start to flood in, and if Montpellier can can slow them down, control the game, Nice will begin to 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 maybe remember how badly that Marseille game went from from a strong position, and if they do lose this game, the the fixtures ahead of them are pretty tough. 
They got Lazio home and away in the Europa League. They got PSG away. These are difficult games. I mean, Strasbourg at home in there as well. But this is a game they probably really need to to win or at least play well in to give them the confidence they need to to get through this next month, which is going to be really tough. Mm, yeah, they really need to jump back the ho- on the horse, at least anyway, and, and very soon. Uh, I'll get the final predictions then, starting with you, Sam. I'm going to back them to do it. I'm going to back them to do it uh, 2-0. Adam? I think this might be 0-0, actually. I think Montpellier another another shutout. Hmm. I'm going to go for a, a very late Nice winner and a 1-0 win. Um, hopefully they can do that and then make the uh, European race nice and uh, interesting as it is slowly turning into a bit of a weird one this season, at least anyway. Um, that's all for this week. Uh, my thanks to Adam, Sam and everyone listening at home. Uh, join us for the main show on Monday. But for now, enjoy your weekend of football. <laughs>